Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast with your host, Rajan Nanavati. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast. I'm Rajan, and I'm rejoined by Hail to the District's Patrick Rice for part two of our 2019 season preview of the Washington Redskins. And part one, which you should definitely go check out if you haven't listened to it already, we covered the defense. So given that, Patrick, you ready to talk about the offense? I am. This is going to be an exciting podcast. I, uh, I'm excited to talk about the QBs and the wide receivers, the lack thereof. And, and uh, if I drift off, it's because I'm watching the Nats game at the same time. So a lot of D.C. sports coming at you. Yeah, Nats coming in hot up that 13 nothing beatdown last night of, uh, of Pittsburgh, I believe it was. Yeah, Pittsburgh might be the worst team in baseball right now, and I'm totally okay with it because we're yeah. a four-game series with them. Um, and hopefully and hopefully, the Nats can keep scoring because it's getting kind of ridiculous at this point. All right. So you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I think what we should do if we're talking about the offense is kind of start on the most important place on offense or outside of the quarterback spot anyway, which, as you mentioned, will cover. And I think that right now is the situation at tackle, or more specifically, the Trent Williams situation. So we touched on a little bit our disdain for the training staff in part one of the podcast. Um, but I think anyone who follows this team is well aware of what's going on with the Trent Williams saga. Um, in a nutshell, it was either some gross mismanagement or gross misdiagnosing, whatever the alleged growth on his skull was, um, to the point where it was a potential scare of it being malignant. And obviously those types of things, i.e. being cancer, are extremely scary. Um, it's just a colossal mess. It just begets the into all the concerns that this team has had that we talked about in terms of the medical staff being god-awful and what's going on with Colt McCoy right now kind of exacerbates that situation. Um, I, I, just your general thoughts on this, this entire thing. Again, not to belabor what we talked about last week. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty torn on this trend situation, if we're being honest about it. I think uh, I don't want to get into the medical training staff too much. You know, they're – they're the brunt of a joke for a reason at this point from Trent to, um, to, to guys having, you know, a full 12 months just to recover from an ACL surgery. Um, I'm pretty sure Dr. James Andrews should never be allowed to perform a Redskins ACL surgery again. Um, all the way to something as simple as Colt, right? The training staff's a disaster. Now to, to Trent though, very torn on what to do with the situation. Um, I don't think, I don't think anyone would argue he is one of the best or the best left tackle in football, Um, especially with the way Jay likes to call those quick screens and get Thompson out there. You know, Trent is so great space. It's amazing how athletic he is. Uh, And almost every player, um, certainly on the Redskins and then around the league, will will reference how just how great he is. So he has respect of his peers, the organization. Um, And, you know, even I, I forget who I was reading the other day, but, Someone even mentioned uh, in the post, it might have been Les Carpenter, about how, um, you know, Trent himself recognizes the Redskins have stuck with him through multiple suspensions, um, through, you know, they won't be the ones who drafted him, even though his his uh, stock was questionable because he had some off-the-field problems at Oklahoma. Um, so, like, I think there's a lot of back and forth here. Um but then you get into things like Adrian Peterson. We signed him. He, they're best friends. He said, you know, I shot my shot. and It doesn't matter. Trent's not coming back. Uh, I think it's time to trade him. I, I want him. Uh, if he comes back tomorrow, I'll be as pumped and jumping through this computer as anybody else in, in this um, situation. But he hasn't played a full year since 2013. Um, and at this point, it's such a distraction that I think it's time to move on. 
right? I think it, I think we've hit that point where, and it, I guess there's a lot of reports that Skins won't trade him at all. We're not even taking, I mean, we're taking calls, but have rebuked all of them. Um, but, you know, I think we should get back what we can for him at this point and, uh, and move on. Now, I, I do, if he comes back tomorrow, no one will be happier than I am. I want him to protect, especially with this prized quarterback in Haskins that we have. Um, but I think at this point, he's over it. I think we're over it. It's time to move on, clean slate, uh, and see what happens. Now, generation talents don't come around very often like that. But, um, you know, I think the skins, you know, really fucked the situation pretty bad, and it's time to move on. That's, those are my thoughts, and you can tell I'm pretty passionate about it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of – I agree with a lot of things that you just said. Um, pound for pound – and I've prided myself, though I'm a diehard, true and blue, undeniable Redskins fan. I've always tried to maintain an objective stance when I look at the rest of the league in terms of whether my guy is better than the guys on the other team. But that being said, there isn't a left tackle in the game today, and not one. I'm, there's not one single solitary left tackle in the league that I'm taking on my team over Trent Williams. If I had to do the Space Jam premise where I have to build a 53-man roster to fight against space aliens for the, for the sake of planet Earth, Trent Williams is my left tackle. I'm going to go ahead and say that right now. So that's where I come from in the perspective of how I want how I look at the Trent Williams situation here. Um, I do think the proverbial bridge has been burned as well. I don't see a resolution here where everything comes back and it's all kumbaya. And I think that's the thing that kills me the most about this, where it's not like, even if they, let's just say they pony up a lot of money, there's still a lot of bad blood or a lot of festering resentment that's from, from either side or from both sides that's not going to be solved. I think it's just if you fix it now, it carries over into next season, and all you've done is put a Band-Aid on it for one season after that. Um, but it, it, it's if you get rid of him, God forbid, and you decide, okay, we are going to test the market, which unfortunately the Redskins, as you mentioned, have been pretty emphatic. I think it was uh, Adam Schefter report who said that you know they're not shopping him and they're not going to trade him. But let's say for the sake of argument that they did trade him, and Jay Glazer, who's another amazing NFL insider, made the comparison a lot to the Dwayne Brown situation a few years back with Houston. And Houston eventually traded Brown despite, you know, the contract issues the two of them had. And eventually they got a one out of it. I mean, if the Redskins can get a one, you know, now you have to have the conversation. But let's just say for whatever reason they trade him. You're looking at the left side of the offensive line, which consists of Donald Penn, who has a lot of rust to shake off and – I'm not going to be able to keep my dinner down when I say this, Eric Flowers at guard, who, God help us all, that's, that's one of the worst situations I can possibly think of. I mean, I hope uh, Dwayne Haskins has a great, or Case Keenan for that matter, has a great life insurance policy if that's who we're going to be starting off at left guard. And left tackle is the combination of that, more specifically left guard. And even if we do get a one, let's say the Dwayne Brown trade happens and we get a one, you said it very well. Offensive tackles like Trent, uh, Trent Williams, they don't grow on trees. Uh, let's even say we get a one. The bust rate for offensive tackles over the last few years has gone up. It's not like how it used to be where you take an offensive tackle in the top half of the draft, you're set for the next 10 years. Because of the transition from the college game to the pro game, because the college game is looking so much more at the athletic traits versus polishing them as actual true and blue offensive linemen, you know, there's just a higher propensity of them not translating at the next level. And that's not even mentioning the fact that I mean, Trent, Trent Williams' combination of size and athleticism is almost unprecedented. I mean, he's fucking fantastic. I mean, the guy who's 340 pounds almost shouldn't be able to move the way he does. It's not just trading in an older model of an automobile and getting a newer version of the automobile. You're trading in something that's a really, really classical 
version. And if you're getting a Toyota Camry out of it, like that's not exactly a good thing. So that's where I'm, I'm torn. Well, yeah. I think no matter what, I mean, he's a hall of fame player. We're not going to, even if we got a one, you know, first round pick, there's a very small chance we get actual return for what Trent is. Agreed. Um, which, which, you know, sucks, but I think it's the reality of the situation at this point. Um, and, you know, I feel for him. I like, if I was him, I'd probably be doing the same shit if we're, if we're being honest. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just time. You know, he's, he's so, God, he's so good. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, I'm in a weird position where like, I resent Bruce and Dan for letting this happen, but I also understand why they're not buckling and giving him money. Cause it's such a bad precedent right. uh, for the rest of the team. Um, so it's like this catch 22, <laughs> Uh, right now for I think a lot of Redskins fans because I think our our disdain for those two are are pretty well known um but the fact that you know Adrian Peterson's calling him and he's and he's not budging Donald Penn called him they had a conversation before Penn even signed uh to me it just means that Trent's drawn a lot a line in the sand and you know everyone keeps saying end of August Labor Day as as the um, is the window where something will happen. And, you know, Thursday's game is really important. If a left tackle in this league goes down, keep an eye on it, right? Those kind of things. Um, and, you know, someone's going to blink and probably going to be us. Uh, I did, you know, I'm a big Gruden fan. We'll get into that later. But, uh, you know, Gruden in his press conference yesterday, they asked him if he had spoken to Trent. And he said, maybe, you know, I laughed at that. I think he's just kind of at this point tired of talking about it. Uh, I expect Trent to be traded uh, in the next two weeks. Um, I have no literally zero inside information on that. I just, that's what I expect to happen. Uh, I think it's a shame. Uh, I think it shows, you know, a microcosm of Redskins fan fandom, right? It's, it's like we have this treasure and we've royally screwed it. Um, but I think it's time to move on and, and, uh, pray to God that Tim either shakes the rust. Um, Christensen learns how to play football and, Air Flowers gets beat out by uh, West Martin. Never sees never sees the field. Uh, the left left part of the lines is, is it's scary to think about. But um, I think sadly it's time to move on from Trent. If if any Redskins fan knows things to that, that's my that's my thoughts. And Mark Bullock of the of the Athletic, formerly of the Washington Post, friend of the Health of the District podcast, um, he did a breakdown of Jaron Christian for, on the on the athletic and the synopsis was not pretty. It, it not was good. pretty ugly. No, Christian is, yeah. is, is, is like, you know, the old joke He's three years away from being two years away. That that's, that's Christian right now. And I, and I, and unfortunately you know, he was a quote unquote athletic project when we took him last year. I think that's well documented just because he's a third round pick. And it kind of goes back to what I'm saying earlier that in college, we're now scouting athletic traits. We're not scouting the plug and play ability for them to come into the league and even playing at Louisville in a, in a system that's rather close to an NFL-like system, he's still got light years to go, which is very evident right now. And uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm I'm agreeing with you in terms of the West Martin thing at left guard. But um, I mean, if we can get a C minus job from Donald Penn, it's better than anything, I guess, at this point that we have. But yeah, I, I just I think you know whatever however whatever cliche you want to use, the writing is on the wall. I I, I don't think throwing fifteen million dollars or translating future money to guaranteed money solves this problem either. I don't think, despite what the reports and people like Charlie Castle say, that's all about the money. I, I think we're a little past that. Yeah, and, you know, I think I think this is just, like, a perfect example of how stupid the Redskins are. We just, um, 
we just drafted a franchise quarterback and we screwed it with the best left tackle to protect his blind side. Uh, like you're, the organization's just not ready for anything that's good. Um, you know, I think I think we can move on to the skins, but like I think that just sums it up right there. We yeah. we finally drafted a kid that um, who's the guy at ESPN who's so great um, does all the he used to work in our front office. Now he works on the ESPN oh, studio. Worked the Eagles for a while. Lewis yeah, Riddick. Riddick, Riddick came out and he was he was like Washington has never had anybody like Haskins before. He likes praises this kid. And then the next day, Trent's like, I'm not coming, so you guys can have this prize quarterback, but he's going to he's gonna get crushed, so have fun. It's just it's so stupid. It's so stupid. Uh, while we are the masters of cutting our nose to spite our face, let's use your Riddick commentary as a segue into Dwayne Haskins. And I think, you know, the news came out with Colt McCoy this week that he's not going to be, not to belabor the point about the training staff again, but he's not going to be anywhere close to starting. Uh, if he set up the entire season at this point, I wouldn't be even surprised again given how bad we are at, at fixing anything when it comes to the medical issues but that notwithstanding uh it, it's going to be case keenum who's going to start the season i think any redskins fan one who thinks haskins is going to start the season is delusional and two i'll be able to say and this is coming from someone who wants haskins and is rooting for him and we'll talk much more about him because there's a lot of positives there who thinks haskins should start particularly in week one against philadelphia you're fucking crazy like no i i am I'm, I'm pro haskins um wasn't necessarily my choice on draft day to draft him. I'm 100% behind him, though, right now. And um, in all of that being said, I still say that there's no chance he should see the field. Or there's no, there's no reason for him to start him this early, uh, particularly against a team like the Eagles, or even if we were playing you know, the Bengals in week one or whoever. You know, even then, I, I just think it's way, way, way too early for him. Yeah, it's funny. I have actually – kind of sort of started to lean and and push this narrative with uh with some of my Redskins um buddies that Haskins should start week one um <laughs> uh you know I mean we all know what we're gonna get with Case uh we all know our left tackle screwed up um you know we're, we're not going to the playoffs with Haskins we're not going to the playoffs with Colt we're not going to the playoffs with Case um so I say screw it throw him out there uh let him learn let him play um now, I think our our first five games are like the Eagles, Cowboys, Bears, and like the Patriots or something. Um, so, you know, maybe that's not such a good idea, but like I don't think any NFL team should worry about the schedule in terms of rolling out a quarterback. You know, he's going to face these teams eventually anyway. Um, why not just throw him into the, to the fire? Now, and like the narrative that Dwayne may start, though, is a dumb narrative. Like it's it's been – Case's job, I think. I keep wanting to call Case Colt. The damn, they're both names start with C. They're but the same quarterback. Um, That's a short, undersized uh, Texas guys. I don't blame you. Yeah, yeah. They, but like Case, when we traded for Case, he was the starter. You know, no fans and butts about it. I think there's a lot of chat of like, oh, Colt had a chance. Uh, I don't think that was ever going to happen. I think we all know at this point what we'll get. Um, I think they were hedging on so, Colt, to be honest with you. I think Case was a hedge against Colt in case Colt wasn't ready, and that, that came to fruition. Yeah, well, it was a good hedge, and it's actually low key a very good trade because we didn't really take any of his money from Denver. Yeah, um, Denver's still paying for a majority of his contract. Um, Rob Sarek Schaefer, but you know, I, <laughs> thank God for that guy. Um, you know, I, I want Haskins to start. He's probably the biggest reason I'm excited about the offense, and maybe the only reason I'm excited about the offense. Um, 
but you know, let's say, let's say, here's a question. When do you think he'll start? Was was your question? Um, I think he starts week six in Miami. Um, that seems to be a pretty popular time that we're going to get just mollywopped by New England. They're just going to smoke us in week five, uh, and I think we roll into Haskins week six. I think that's what happened. Uh, I am pumped for week six. Uh, that kid's arm is just ridiculous, uh, and. The, this is going to sound, maybe this is like the RG3, uh, just fear in me, but there's a couple things like I really like. One, teammates seem to really like him. Uh, two, we haven't seen his dad anywhere, thank God. Uh, and, and three, um, he, because he sat Ohio State, he's okay with sitting now. He gets it. I think he'll learn very quickly. I'm very excited about him. So we'll roll, roll a case, but I'm kind of in the boat of rolling him out there. See what happens. Not popular, but, you know. It'd be, it'd be cool to watch, that's for sure. So I think the scouting report on NFL.com, and by the way, if you are a even amateur draft follower person, I know that's a very eloquent description, of, uh, of, of NFL.com, they do amazing scouting reports for any player you're looking for in the draft. And I was kind of perusing his, a couple of uh, Dwayne Haskins' report a couple of days ago. And I think it, it, they did a really good job. And again, Lance Zierlin over there does incredible work. And I, how he's able to crank out these 500-plus scouting reports is incredible. But, you know, I think it does a really good job of painting the picture of who Haskins is. And, and just taking the key things that jumped out at me, um, you know, he's a risk taker with big arm strength. He can get away with tight window throws that the majority of the people in this draft class couldn't make. And we're talking about guys like Kyler Murray, among others. Um, the ball explodes out of his hands when he's driving it down the field. Again, kind of what you just touched on a second. Um, he's shown already, although he's taken a few extra hits or early hits, which makes me uncomfortable already because he's so young and you don't want to – Jay Gruden is not Steve Spurrier, but you don't want to have Patrick Ramsey redux where he's get his brain beat in this early. Um, but, you know, he's willing to, stand, willing to stand in the pocket and take a hit. He's able to deliver the ball because of his arm strength from unconventional angles, from unconventional throwing platforms, all of that fun stuff. Um, but I think the big thing is, is that he's so raw. And that's the thing I keep coming back to, that I've always been one of those guys where a quarterback should wait. I pointed to the Steve McNair model way back in the day. I pointed to the Aaron Rodgers model way back in the day. I don't think the Patrick Mahomes model is realistic because one, we don't have an Alex Smith sitting in front of him and two, Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. Um, and there are so many circumstances around Mahomes that made him that. So you can't just say, well, everyone can be Patrick Mahomes. No, that's not the case. All of that notwithstanding, I've always been of the philosophy that, you know, a quarterback, oh, a guy is a little better off waiting for a little while um, and that's kind of where I'm coming from him. And I, if I'm, we're going to get someone's ass beat in while Donald Penn shakes the rust off, I'd rather that be Case Keenum. Um, but the consensus, whether it's from guys like Riddick, who did gush about at Haskins, or others, uh, Dan Orlovsky on ESPN, another guy who does fantastic work, they all say the same thing. That look, he's got all the physical tools, but more importantly, he's got the mental tools. He just needs the time and the cultivation and all of those things. And I think, and I think that's one of the reasons why I – even if the Redskins go five and 11 or whatever this year, I'm almost prone to say keep Gruden again, because it's like, you don't want to ruin this kid's learning curve. And I want to play the long game with him. I don't care about the first eight weeks of the season. I really don't. If we go. zero and eight. Yeah. I don't think it would surprise anyone. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, I, a week ago, I would have agreed. Um, and then you just see some of these throws he makes and you, the, the talent jumps out and you're like, holy hell, this guy's great. Um, you know, I said week six as, as when he'll come in. Um, 
you know, I think Gruden, I think Gruden even before the draft said, oh, yeah, he should sit a year for sure before we even drafted him. And then he had to be like, oh, welcome, <laughs> quarterback yeah, competition as soon as yeah. we drafted him. Um, but, you know, I think, I think we see him early, uh, obviously. But, uh, you know, speaking of those first couple weeks, let's say hypothetically we beat the Eagles and come out of the first five weeks like two and three, three and two. Um, then I think the leash gets extended a little bit for, for Case. Um, cause this middle, the middle part of our schedule is pretty soft. The, the, the book five or six like, game is, kind is of the brutal. Part. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I guess we'll see, but I also think we know what we have in, in case and, you know, I don't really know what we're going to do with cold. It's kind of a disaster at this point. I, I guess we put him on IR or, or just keep him not active for the first few weeks. But, um, you know, there, there is a very realistic scenario and, you know, I, I know this scares you, um, that Christian or, or Penn just gets torched and, uh, case gets lit up, you know, versus that Eagles defensive line versus the Cowboys defensive line. And then week one, two, three, in comes Haskins and, and we roll with it. Um, it's a, it's an, it's a pretty fascinating, fascinating situation to think about. If that happens, then there's nothing you can do about it. Because at least you got the first guy's brain beat in, and now we're on plan B. Then it's like, all right, well, now we're here, right? As opposed to having plan A being, or let the young kid get his brain beat in. And I, I'm, I'm more okay with that. If they were forced to start Haskins, then great. It, you know, fate preempted us in that case. And I, I'm, I'm, much, I'm much better off in that situation. Um, yeah. So yeah. let the record straight. Haskins you're for starting, you're, you're for starting case. I'm for starting Dwayne. Just throwing it out there. Um, that is accurate. What, you are, that, that, okay. Is I'm hey, only we gotta, for starting we gotta, case. We gotta not argue at times. Not because I want case. Not because in any way, shape, or form, I believe case is quote unquote the better quarterback. I believe case is the better situation for the team right now, and I say that vis-a-vis Dwayne Haskins being my long-term solution. I don't. I don't want to do anything yeah. to ruin that learning curve. Um, yeah, and I think I think it, I, I mean honestly I don't think it really matters because ultimately whoever they're throwing the ball to I mean might as well just throw it to themselves because our receivers are so shitty. <laughs> yeah, so let's go ahead and, and and address that fecal matter. That to your point, um, we we I, I joked a little bit about this with the interior with the inside linebackers in part one of the podcast, but I'll I'll bring back the the, the comment when it comes to our wide receivers. Name me a worse starting duo of wide receivers in the NFL, worse than Paul Richardson, Josh Dotson. Like, well, I can't. Uh, at least not off the top of my head. Uh, maybe the Browns. They they have a pretty terrible starting duo. Yeah, um, right. That that Beckham and Jarrett. Yeah, they Yeah, maybe maybe Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard over New York because they're making a mess over there. But that's about it. Isn't Shepard hurt? Isn't he out for a while? No, it's, it's a broken finger. They say he said they sound like he's on track for week one, but gotcha. Well, let, let, yeah, let's focus on these on these guys. One, I'm not convinced Dachshund's going to make the roster. Um, you know, like Cooley even said on the podcast today he wasn't going to make the roster, and he's in that building every day. Yep. Um, he's also close with with our good friend uh, Dan Snyder. Um, but you know, I don't know, I. I I do think Richardson is better than people think. The problem is, he, like, he's never once had a complete season. Last year he played, what, like eight games or something? Oh, you and I saw uh, And most of them <laughs> with uh, – I'm not saying he's he's great. I'm just saying I think he's better than what some people think he is. 
Um, the problem is you can't stay in the field, so it doesn't really matter. So he's as bad as, as uh, the next guy. Here's, here's where I think people need to realize how terrible this group of receivers are. When the article's coming out from The Athletic, from The Post, from uh, Hail to District podcast to, you know, national media, when people are talking up, like, uh, Kidzy and Sims and uh, Chesson and McLaurin and, you know, all these guys who haven't done anything and talking about, oh, well, they might not have, uh, you know, a great top two, but they have a lot of depths. That's when you know your receiving core sucks, right? Um, I'm, like, really excited about McLaurin um, and uh, what's the kid, Harmon from NC State. Like, I'm excited for these kids, but the fact that we're, like, banking on them already and banking on uh, a guy that was dead, dead last in the draft last year has been to IR twice and he hasn't even started his second season just oh, yeah. shows you how terrible, how terrible this unit is, right? Um, and, you know, people razzed on Crowder. Crowder was actually pretty damn good. Um, and he's gone now, so, like, we are – we are, I, honestly, I think we're screwed. Uh, it doesn't matter who plays quarterback. They can't throw the ball at anyone. Yeah, um, I have, like, a family, like, defensive mechanism when it comes to people trashing Jamison Crowder. Like, I get irrationally angry when people dump on Jamison Crowder to the point where I'm, like, it's, like, as if he's, like I said, he's my family member. But I, I, I loved him. I, I was a huge fan of him. And it hurt. I don't think necessarily the right move was paying him what he made on the open market, signing with the Jets, but it hurt a lot to see him go. Yeah. Well, he's also homegrown. You know, I, I'm, exactly. I'm a big fan of keeping the guys um, that we draft. I am very excited about Terry McLaurin. Uh, I think it was Doug Baldwin before the draft was like, he name dropped McLaurin's name. It was like, this kid's a stud. Uh, and he is definitely a J guy. So once you're in with J, we all know you're in for good. Just look at Samaj P. Ron, Ryan Grant. Ryan Grant. Yeah. Um, um, I am very excited for McLaurin. And in fact, um, I've, I've heard the offensive coordinator, I've heard Jay say it. They're all like, we didn't realize how good this guy really was. Um, we drafted him partially for special teams, but I mean, if he's already re- basically pushing off Doxon off the, um, the roster, I mean, this kid could be special. Who knows? You know, I, I think it, I'm, I'm hoping cause we need some, somebody to be good in that group. Uh, but everyone's preaching this kid, even though we haven't seen him yet. And I'm very excited for him. Yeah, Ben Standig of the Athletic, um, he dabbled with, uh, I think it was that Sports Capital, is like their fake athletic, but then they rejoined it with them. But he's also on their side been banging the drum that that Dotson's not going to make the team. And I've been I've been kind of talking, you know, I, I was one of the last few Josh Dotson supporters for a long time. I wasn't ready to so sell, my, sell my duplex on Josh Dotson Island, but I'm now ready to put the sign in my front yard and understand that I'm paying, I'm going to sell it for far less than what I paid for originally. It's going to be a short sale uh, type of situation with him. I'm finally ready to, like I said, to sell my my, uh, diminishing real estate. And I think with Dotson, kind of just putting a bow on him, I don't think it's so much about him being a bad player. I think he was the right decision. I think he was the best wide receiver in that class, at least. Can't remember if there's anybody out of Corey Coleman in that draft. And Laquan Treadwell and Will Fuller. I, I liked him the best. I thought I, I had no problem with the pick. It is a well-known documented fact that Scott McLuhan wanted Ryan Kelly. Ryan Kelly went to the Colts. Ryan Kelly's a beast, but he went to the Colts and Josh Dotson was kind of plan B or the best player available. Dots, uh, McLuhan went with him. Um, but it's funny because McLuhan, again, 
And by the way, we've mentioned The Athletic like about a half dozen times so far, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think Patrick's going to agree with me emphatically. And we don't have any cut from The Athletic. We don't have any deal with them. If you're not paying the $8 a month to get for The Athletic, like what the fuck are you cheaping out for? We all spend $10 a month for like dumb, dumb stuff, all of us. And if you're grousing about $8 a month for some of the best sports content out there, like you're really dumb. Uh, I'm just going to put that out there. I, it's fantastic. It is it's excellent stuff. So, you know, we're, we're not a corporate show for the athletic. I wish we were, I'd love to, for them to buy us out, but, um, great stuff. And, and can't, can't, uh, can't vouch for them enough. Can't vouch for that stuff enough. Cause what you want to go to like all the, all the other pace sites and like get four free articles per month and like get bombarded by ads while you're reading them. Like, I, I don't get it, man. Great stuff up there. Anyway, left turn aside, McLuhan even admitted in an interview with the athletic where he, saw all the physical traits that Dotson had, but really missed on the mental or what's above his shoulders. And I think McLuhan alluded to it, but if from everything you read, Dotson's not one of those, I'll die before I lose a game type of guys. Like he just doesn't have that wiring. Like Antonio Brown is a nutcase, but Antonio Brown is also a pathological competitor. Like T.O. was a nutcase, Randy Moss was a nutcase, but they, you, you saw how much their craft meant to them, even if they were certifiable Looney Tunes. And I think Dotson isn't just, he's one of those, like, you know, I hate to see, reminds me kind of like of a Devin Thomas back in the day figure where like, he's got all the physical talent, but like, it's just not there. Like he's just not wired that way. And I think that's kind of where yeah. I'm landing on him. Yeah. I just, um, everyone says, Oh, he can go win the, the, the 50, 50 jump ball. But if that's all you can do, and yeah. you're supposed to be a number one borderline number two, I mean, it's – and he doesn't even win him that often. Um, you know, it's it's frustrating, um, especially because, like, McLuhan's draft classes ended up kind of being terrible, um, with the exception of Ionitis, J-Guy, and Scherf, who was basically a surefire pick. Um, you know, one person we missed out, I don't think you – I don't think you – I don't know if you mentioned him. If you did, I missed it. But Michael Thomas was part of that wide receiver draft class. Yes, um, yes. Good call. And, and, and the Saints. And uh, he's a stud. <laughs> yes, he is. Um, um, and it wasn't a secret. Yeah, I mean, I just – Had him rated as the best receiver in that class. So, good, great point. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, to, to close on the, on the receivers, um, you know, I, we, Richardson has to be healthy. I, you know, that's my – that's basically my take on this on this class or on this group of receivers. I think if he's healthy, if, man, the big – the health thing with the Redskins is so scary. If he can stay healthy, if, if Quinn can stay healthy in the slot, McLaurin can, can come about it, maybe maybe we have something there. Maybe maybe the team gets it together a little bit. Um, but it's a lot of hopeful, a lot of wishful thinking. And, uh, you know, not to mention we got to keep Twinkle Toes Reed healthy uh, as well. Um, but if, if Reed is as – playing as well as he can or as, as well as I know we're not talking tight ends, but if he's as good as everyone's saying in camp right now, and then you, you can keep a couple of these receivers healthy outside of docks and uh, you know, they could be a good group, but I think the fact that, you know, people keep talking about just the depth alone kind of just shows where this group is as a whole. Um, and it's scary, but you know, I think the offense is going to go through um, guys, Peterson Thompson anyway, you know, that's the group I'm actually personally very excited about. Uh, but you know, I think we just kind of have to cross our fingers and, and be thankful for whatever we get out of this wide receiver group. Yeah, we'll get to the running backs because I have a lot of thoughts about them as well. But to kind of 
some of the, the other guys getting because I went on a rant about Dotson and all the and the athletic and all that fun stuff. Um, of all the Redskins talk we've had over the last pod, last two podcasts, maybe even the podcast we did last year, the biggest source of disagreement, as I was alluding to earlier, between you and I is about Paul Richardson. I mean, he is capital J, capital A, capital G, just a guy. I mean, we said it the moment <laughs> he signed. It, he is literally like if you take the baseball metric, you being a baseball guy, a value over replacement player, he is replacement player. Like I, I just there's nothing about him that screams to me that like this is a number two guy. For, you know, forget number one. I mean, the fact that Seattle didn't – I mean, I know it's free agency and you don't want to overpay guys, but Seattle didn't exactly bend over backwards to bring him back. Um, and, and, you know, they weren't going to match the price tag on the open market because the open market is getting absolutely ridiculous. But he was injury prone there. He's injury prone here. And the fact – and I, again, going back to free agency, it's just grossly overpriced, but he's the seventh highest cap hit on the Redskins roster. Paul fucking Richardson. And I'm like, I just I, – I, I, he is the shining epitome of like, you know, uh, uh, like I said, replacement player. Um, I, I, we can't get rid of him fast enough in my opinion. I mean, cause I think you could get anybody like it's been proven that if you, your scouting department does a good job and of all the things we bitch about with this team, our scouting department's actually doing a really good job. Um, you can find guys like him. And that brings me to Terry McLaurin. I wasn't wild about the Terry McLaurin pick from day one, partially because I have a gross spot. I didn't even know. I didn't even know. I didn't even know who he was. Yeah, I have a gross bias against Ohio State. I grew up secretly a Michigan fan, even though I never ended up going to Michigan. But um, so truth comes out. Yeah, I was gonna say even funny with the Dwayne Haskins being our quarterback. But um, everything you read about McLaurin, I mean, people aren't people aren't in love with him. People gush about him. I mean, downright gushing. They're like, this kid is everything you want from a competitor, from an athlete, from the way he's wired above his shoulders. I mean, he is excellent. Like you can't not read or you can't read anything about him and not walk away absolutely pumped and i think he is you know i agree that he can i don't know how much to expect from him right off the bat uh but there's a lot of reason for optimism about him and then taking one step further with Harmon, he was a day two pick the fact that i think he was like a mid four six high four six runner in the 40 and that's what dropped him to day three but that was a certifiable steal he is the he is the bizarro Troy Apke, that the guy who wasn't a good athlete but did everything else right and was worth taking a flyer on later in the draft. I mean, he's great. He is poor man's Pierre Garcon. I know that that comparison has been used often, and I I agree with it particularly. And I I think those two players um, accentuate an already good draft class, and I'm very very excited about them. I hope they develop, and I hope this is not Devin Thomas and Malcolm Kelly. But, you know, I, I'm really positive about the two of them, and I think they can be a cornerstone to build on as opposed to the other two guys whom we're quote-unquote starting at the moment. And then Trey Quinn, the cult of Trey Quinn, I, I think he's fine. I'm not saying this because he's crafty and white. He can be, he has a playing style similar to a Cole Beasley type of player or an Adam Humphreys type of player. And we've seen there is definitely a world where these guys can succeed, and I think the same about Trey Quinn, that he has that opportunity. And then now, and then you pass that. You're kind of shooting darts with guys like Cam Sims and Robert Davis. Like you get what you get from them. No. No, I agree. I mean, I'm, I, um, I think I'm, I'm high on Richardson because of Gruden's offense. If someone, if there's anybody out there that can stretch a defense, then Gruden's, then Gruden's offense becomes 
you know, it's damn near impossible to stop it the way the way he, he uses running backs and tight ends. The problem is, is we just haven't anyone haven't had anyone to stretch the field since basically Djax left, uh, and that's a problem. Um, and you know, I, you know, I, I I guess you could uh, you could argue that like any team that has someone that can stretch the field, it opens up everything. It's kind of football one on one. But with guys like you know AP. Um, hitting the hole hard. If there's seven people in the box, I'll take that all day. Sure. If, um, you know, you have Thompson out, out of the backfield just taking little screens or a little, you know, running back slants, out routes, whatever it is, someone to take the top off and get the safety the hell out of there, Richardson has to do that, and he has the speed to do it. So I'm like, I like think he can do it. Now, I'm not saying he's he's dejected by any means. He's nor, those are not even the same class. But that's my hope, right? Um I'm not going to harp on McLaurin because you just did and, and you were 100% right. <laughs> apparently this guy's just he, – apparently he's Jerry Rice. Um, yeah. And, and uh, you know, I'm very excited about Trey Quinn. I think we all want him to be good. Um, but, you know, he hasn't played because he got bumped into and now his thumb's, like, broken. Um, so, like – and he's been on the IR, IR twice, so who knows. Um, love the Pierre Garçon comp for, for Harmon. Um, first off, if he can be anywhere near – Pierre Garçon, uh, I'll be happy because uh, looking back on it, honestly, I think Pierre might have been my favorite Redskin uh, in the last, like, I don't know, 10 years. I mean, that guy, speaking of, like, diving on grenades for his team, that dude just competed. Totally. Uh, every, week he, every week he was, you know, I mean, he got pissed because of his, of his role, right? Uh, but, man, I love that guy. He played so hard, and I really, really hope, wish we can um, – I'll yeah. never forget, man. That two thousand, that two thousand thirteen season was an abject disaster. Griffin's year, first year back. People forget, Garcon, if I'm not mistaken, led the league in receptions that year. He had like a hundred and thirteen or some absurd number like that. Garcon was just a baller. Like he went out there, and you're talking about guys who live and die about with winning and losing. He was absolutely one of them. Yeah. So, um, well, anyway, we we've talked about the the receivers at length here. Um, I think it's it's fun to debate something we're not totally seeing eye to eye on. Uh, and for the record, the Nats, the Nats bullpen is rearing its ugly head right now. Excellent. Um, the, let's talk about the running backs. Cause, um, you know, I know we haven't really, I mean, Jay's had, I think, a couple 1,000-yard rushers in his, in his career as offensive coordinator head coach, AP being one of them. Um, Thompson is prominently featured in his offense all the time. But now, now we have guys. Um, Fingers crossed he makes it through this next game healthy and we have a stable of running backs. Give me your take on, on what's going to happen in the back of the day. Do you think these guys will split the carries? Do you think one will become the lead dog? Curious as to, to what your thoughts are on this running back situation. Yeah, I think the, the, what the split between Peterson and Geis will be in terms of carries or how we split it is a subplot that we all conceptually understand or see, but not enough people are actually diving into like Adrian Peterson had this vintage throwback, amazing season. You and I both, anyone can go back and see, like we were both like pump the brakes. Let's not get carried away with Adrian Peterson last year. I mean, this guy looked like vintage Adrian Peterson in, in flashes. Like he really did. I mean, just let's just call him a spade a spade. He was excellent. I mean, I think it was the, the first Giants game. I mean, man, he just put the team on his back in stretches. Like he was great. You know, you know, Mia culpa in terms of you know saying to pump our brakes, or he's probably washed up and or whatever. Like he was excellent. So you have Peterson coming off of that. Um, I think the team signed him to approve a deal, saying that 
okay, the year before he had the large portion of the season off, last year was kind of a prove-it deal, and then he's on another prove-it deal, then how many years can you keep this up? Obviously, they wrote him into the ground last year. The second half of the season stats were much worse than the first half of the season, so they're saying, all right, now how much do you really have in the tank? Then you have Geis. Geis comes in. Obviously, Geis didn't play all of last year. They are taking the cautious approach with him as he comes into this season, very rightfully so. But the thing that I keep going back to is Gruden has never really been a 1A, 1B type of uh, offense, or he's never had a 1A, 1B in terms of running back in his offense. Uh, I think the stat that people don't realize is that over the last five years, when Gruden's been our head coach, our running back one to running back two split on average has been 212 carries to 78 carries. So it's effectively three to one where, you know, if we carry the ball again, 24 times, 16 of them is going to be our, uh, from, you know, whoever's RB one, which then begs the question, who is RB one? And in five years of Gruden, our backup running back, whoever's RB two, quote unquote, he's never had, he's only had a hundred carries one time in five years, whoever that might be, whether it was Matt Jones or whether it was, uh, you know, Chris Thompson or whoever the second running back was in this offense, it's only broken 100 carries one time. And I think that was like Matt Jones back in 13 or 14. So I think the question of how is the, who is the first banana and who's the second banana, um, how does that go? Like, is, is Peterson going to do that? Is Peterson going to be the second banana? And we kind of just ease guys in with 80 to 100 carries, which I'm not completely against because, again, you're talking about a guy who was only 12 months off from the ACL tear. And that's not even, again, mentioning Chris Thompson, who's averaged about 60 carries a year, which is not much. That's only what this is for a game, but he's kind of been the MVP of the offense the last two years or two or three years. I mean, I don't, I'm a big Chris Thompson fan. He's probably one of my favorite players on the Redskins right now. I would venture to say maybe my favorite player on the offense. Uh, Cause I think he's just so underrated. I mean, that guy, like, especially in, um, in 17, I mean, you're talking about putting the offense on your back. Like he was unstoppable and you know, it's clear to your point that Gruden loves him. And if you're a Gruden guy, you're going to be in. And I think they're going to keep feeding him the ball. And by the way, as a sub, another side point, Chris Thompson's getting shat on in fantasy football purposes. And it kills me, especially if you play in like half PPR, PPR leagues, like draft him in like the mid rounds and just thank me later. So here's your fantasy football tip. Me. No, I appreciate it. I need all the help I can get with fantasy football. I, I never win my fantasy football league ever. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of a running joke now. Um, you know, I think I, I I should go back and listen to our podcast last year to see what our um, stat lines for AP were going to be after we signed on. I mean, that guy, I still think about that run he had in Philadelphia, the 90-yard touchdown run. Yeah. This dude's, you know, this dude's got miles and miles and miles on his legs, and he's out outrunning everybody. Um and you think about the jump cut he had against the Bengals in, we, in last yeah. week's preseason game. I mean, he's still got it. Um, it's, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty incredible to see. I mean, he, he busted through 1,000 yards last year. Uh, I would argue if, if the line had stayed healthy, he was going to go for a lot more. If he didn't have Mark Sanchez and Josh Johnson handing him the ball, he probably would have gone for more. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited for him again for you. Not again, for let's just – I call it Spade Spade last year. I was not excited about him. This year, this year I'm pumped for him. Um, and I think Geis is going to be the most important part of that because, you know, whether they split carries or two point, you know, running back two under Gruden continually gets a lot of carries. I, I think they're going to play off each other really well. And I'm very excited about that. My w- one worry is 
with AP in the in the game that Gruden will become very predictable. I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, but I'm very excited for those two. And then to your point, Thompson, I mean, that dude is just like tough as nails. That dude's torn his ACL. He's broken his back. He's Literally broke exploded his back. again. Yeah, like he, he is like the toughest dude on the team, bar none. Um, and I think you have to be if you're um, – oh, God damn it. And that's – and that's or the Pirates just tied the game. Um, the – you know, you have to be tough and nails if you're a five nine running back and you're pass blocking on uh, on third down and, and no one sticks their head in, in blocking like that guy does. He's got great technique. He puts his you know, he lowers his pads and, and bam he pops that blitzer coming in. He always is in the right spot. Speaking of protecting a quarterback, I always feel comfortable with him in the in the uh, backfield. But you know, I don't know if he will have another running back that has a thousand yards per se, but I do expect this group to be ultra um productive and i think the most exciting piece about guys coming back is is everyone says that he has terrific hands out of the backfield um which you know he wasn't known for at lsu obviously with less miles there eating grass on the, on the sideline like all they did was run the power eye just give him the ball um but i i don't you know i don't think there's um a, a reason to, to sit here and say you know this this group can't be the the group that carries the team I mean, think about last year. Alex Smith started 10 games. He threw over 200 yards five times. We were 6-3 and three with him behind um, center. 6-4 uh, yeah. and four if you count the Texans game. Um, if this group with the defense that we have can just carry the load, even for six, seven games, and we sneak one game out with passing, all of a sudden you're looking at a team in a playoff hunt. Um, I, honestly, I think it's this group that has to, to shine for us to have any sort of chance. But – with our defense, if these running backs can stay healthy and, and tote the rock 15, 20, 30 times a game, I think we've got a chance. Um, and that's why I'm excited about them because not only can they do it, like we've seen them do it, um, which is the difference between the wide, wide receiver group, right? We've seen these guys do this. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited about this group for sure. My Although, wife had I a probably won't draft. I probably won't draft Thompson. Sorry. <laughs> My wife had a friend who was a woman from Louisiana, and I met her husband. They were like Bayou Cajun people or whatever. They were all in on the Saints, but they were like diehard LSU fans. But thankfully, they were somewhat rational about it. So I was giving them shit. I'm like, I don't really have a dog in the fight in terms of L uh, at the SEC. But I was like, never has a head coach done less with more, no pun intended, than less miles. I mean, that guy – Arguably, is had the most talent of any of any college coach in the last fifteen years. Fuck. Almost nothing to show. Sorry, no, that's, I get it. Like, it is staggering. You can build an NFL team that would be a perennial playoff team of just LSU guys. That it's outside, and that, and you never, and out of a decade of coaching, you can never find one quarterback worth a damn. I think that says a lot about you as a coach. But um, in terms of the playing about LSU, but I think where I'm going with that is Geis never really got the opportunity to show that he could catch the ball. That was one of the knocks on him, quote unquote, coming out of college. I was like, well, we don't know his hands on the X. They never threw him the football because they never had a quarterback worth a damn. If your best quarterback of the last 15 years is Jamarcus Russell, I think that says a lot. So uh, I, I agree. I think the, the success of the running back group is going to be part and parcel with how the offensive line in front of them blocks. Again, we can't understate how much Trent Williams meant to clearing out these massive lanes where you could probably drive a beer truck through them, let alone any one of our running backs. But even that, even given all of that, I, I think this is the most talented core of players we have 
on the offense, uh, if not the entire team, this other defensive line. Um, and, and I think, you know, not having to rely as much on Peterson, having a guys, uh, you know, being even if nothing else, a change of pace back or just helping them split carries. If they can reach that 180, 140 type of switch between the two of them over the course of the year. So that meaning the two of them together get 320 carries. Great. I think that's, that's the formula for this team to win games, even if it is a case game at quarterback, let alone a Dwayne Haskins. If it's Haskins there, they run the ball 40 times a game. I'm all about that. Sorry for the hard up on the Nets. Oh yeah, we're yeah. up one nothing in the eighth. One nothing in the eighth, and now it's four one. Because David Martinez is the worst manager in sports, and we're doing um, whatever but, modicum of success we're having in spite of him. I know it's so. <sighs> um, the yeah, I mean, I, I'm I can't I can't believe to the left miles point. Like God, that guy. Um, and he's the coach of Kansas now, I think. I'll be entertaining uh, entertaining to watch. Three years. Uh, to see if they can win more. Three, be- you think that's a long year left? That's all three years. Um, um, they might win three games total. Yeah. Uh, if that. That guy can't um, coach. He can recruit. He can't coach. He can't coach. Yeah, well, good luck trying to recruit players to Kansas. Kansas. Yeah. Um, this isn't basketball. Um but yeah, sorry. The the Nats just they just they just lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think with the, with the with the running backs, you know, obviously there's just so much talent there. They can we can they can carry the team. Um, I think that brings us to to kind of our final thoughts a little bit here. Um, fortunately, it seems most. I'm just going to go on a whim here. Everyone seems to be healthy. Right, with the exception of Trent not being at the at the um, camp right now, it seems like we'll have a full roster go um, week one. I'm knocking on wood because we still have uh, Thursday and in Atlanta to get through. Just get um, out of Thursday healthy, man. Yeah, let's say we do. We start with the Eagles on the road, um, and then obviously the, the schedule builds from there. Um, how do you think? How do you think we do? What, what What do you think it takes for us to get to say? eight, nine, even 10 wins. We haven't had 11 wins since like 91. So let's just assume that doesn't happen. Um, what, what's it take for us to have a successful season in your point, in your point of view? Outside of a Christmas miracle. Um, I, I, it's it's going to take a lot of winning ugly like we did last year in terms of, you know, like I said, playing, running the ball, playing good defense and hopefully having the turnover battle go in our favor, which makes me sound like a Neanderthal football coach when I say those things put together in the same sentence. But unfortunately, it's the truth. And, you know, we touched on it a little bit, but look at the first five games. You, you mentioned it outright. At Philadelphia, home against Dallas, home against Chicago. I think Chicago takes a step back, but it's still a really good team. Um, at New York, New York stinks as a unit, but we always seem to always play down to them. So I don't consider that a cakewalk by any stretch. And then home against New England. And it doesn't matter when New England is playing, as you mentioned, even with Tom Brady very quietly and very secretly aging, they're still going to curb stomp us. And then even let's talk about the moist and chewy part of our schedule as we're mentioning in the middle. All right, at Miami, whatever, Miami is probably is one of the – not probably they are. They're one of the three worst teams in the NFL. But home against San Francisco. San Francisco can go either way. I mean, that's a Kyle Shanahan grudge match game. At Minnesota against you-know-who, he who shall not be named. At Buffalo, Buffalo – was sneakily one of my favorite teams in the league this year at New, uh, home against the Jets. The Jets are not a bad football team. Um, and I think and the only like, you know, 
another like if you want to sc- scratch up of the we should win this game is home against Detroit. Uh, I think Detroit's another really team going the wrong direction with my boy Matt Patricia using pencil on the laminated play sheet. Like that's I think those are the only really couple of soft games there. Like I know every team in the NFL is good at some level, but like this is not an easy slate. And then again, going down to the last five at Carolina at green Bay and at Dallas over the last are the three road games among our last five sandwiched among games against the Eagles and giants. Again, I mean, it's going to take a lot of health, which as we've been proving the offensive line has not been able to stay healthy among other positions. Um, but just relying on this defense and it, it, we're not going to be a sexy team to watch if, in terms of, you know, us putting up a bunch of points and winning a bunch of games as a result of that. I mean, we're just going to have to get our 20 points and then hold our breath until we hit triple zeros in the fourth quarter. Give me your prediction. Give me like a win total. What do you think the skins record will be? I keep looking at the schedule and I keep thinking really bad things. And it's the God's truth. I'm like, I just keep looking at this over and over again. And I'm like, I don't see more than five wins. So you're saying five and 11. If I, had, if, I, if, I, if I had to put the mortgage on it. Yeah. I'm saying five and 11. I'm going to call I'm going to put it there. Five and 11. I'm going to say it. This is a five. Okay. No, I'm gonna... Like it's just, there's too many okay. problems. So I think there's a couple more wins on there. Um, I don't, I don't buy into the um, how hard is your schedule until the season starts kind of stuff. Um, everything every, every year, everything changes. Every year a team goes for worst to first, vice versa. Um, I do – the only team on there that I'm like penciling in, guaranteed loss is the Patriots. Um, we always find a way to, to win some random game, especially under Jay. For some reason, Jay's like, I'm getting us to seven wins this year, team. Um, and when we when we get to playoff time, we'll figure out a way to to, to lose. Um, I think this this team. I've been saying six and ten the last few days, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna hold with that. But I do think I do work in sales, so I'm gonna give you a best case scenario here as well. All right. Um, Not say I do think I do think. Yeah, yeah. I think I, my most likely forecast is six and ten, but I do think there's a scenario where we get to um, seven, eight wins, um, and. If that happens, which becomes very interesting, is what happens with Gruden. Um, uh, because at that point, like, again, you kind of have to tip your cap and say, well, you took a mediocre team and you found a way to win some, some football games, which he's pretty much done, but he's never really gotten us over that hump. Um, so I like this kind of that 6-10, and 10, but I, I do see a scenario where we can finish 9-7 and seven, um, just because the we're going we're gonna to catch a break when we can play, um, you know, the – the Patriots without Tom Brady or something like, I don't think that'll happen, but you know, something like that will break our way. We'll win some random game. Um, and I just keep going back to us being six and three last year with so little offensive talent. I mean, Alex Smith threw for 178 yards three different times and we won and we won all three games. Um, Which is a, like that is absurd. Sorry. That's absurd. Um, you know, I think if we can control the ball and, um, you know, not turn it over and let our defense just do its thing. Flip the field a few times, catch a couple breaks. All of a sudden, in this wacky world of the uh, of the NFL, we're looking at you know, come November, December, we're talking playoffs. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I, I think six and ten though is my official my official prediction. So there it is. You know, if I talk myself off the ledge a little bit, um, so 
you know, we good win at home last year against Green Bay, beat Carolina at home. Um, you know, we were playing well in the first half, and then we got the doors beat off of us by the Saints. Um, that was terrible. Yeah, it was a god awful game, at least. And then the Drew Brees, you know, you know appreciation that evening that didn't help either. You know, again, beat the Panthers, beat the Cowboys, beat the Giants. That's fine. Like we had a good stretch of games. Um, I remember almost nothing about the, the Tampa Bay game, which should tell you how memorable it was. I might have been traveling. That a lot way. of a uh, lot of a uh, lot of yards, but then Tampa turned it over like five times. We we that's we right. caught Fitzpatrick on a on a good week. That's right. We yeah we we were the beneficiaries of Fitzmagic. I remember the Houston game very clearly, specifically Alex Smith's ankle. Um, but yep. I think there was a lot of indicators in last season that if there's a team that has a flaw. We're able to capitalize it on it, but like New- Indianapolis, like the Indianapolis loss looked really, really bad last year until we realized, holy shit, Indianapolis is actually a really, really good team. New Orleans, I mean, we rightfully were not on the same class as that team. Um, the Atlanta loss was really bad. Like that was a really, really bad loss. That was an embarrassing one because like they're, they're, there's no reason we should have been beat by. But in our defense, even at that time, they were actually a red hot team too. Like they were really hot over the middle of the season. They just cooled off a lot towards the end of the season. Um, Houston, I'll argue, you know, we wouldn't have lost that game if it wasn't for Smith getting injured. The Dallas game, even though the, the score wasn't as close as the game. I mean, the score is closer than the game really was. And then, of course, the wheels fall off at the rest of the season. Yeah, I, I, I tend to be I'm, – I'm looking at this from the glass half-empty perspective, but, you know, shit, two weeks from now I'm probably going to be all in and be like, yeah, we're, we're an eight-win team. I see it. I see it. Um, I just, I my somebody used to joke that I just have, you know, abused. Animals. You've been burned too many times. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I just like if if for I mean, think about a scenario where we like stay relevant. Haskins comes in, he clicks. Geist is fully healthy, and Reed's as good as has been advertised. All of a sudden, you got a pretty good looking offense, and you catch a couple teams off the break, and, and who knows, you know, anything could happen. I don't think this team's going to finish three and thirteen like NFL.com does. The NFL is just too wacky, um, and for some odd reason, Jay always figures out a way to get to seven wins. The only year he hasn't was with arguably the worst team in the history of Redskins football. Um, so you know, I think we'll have to. Oh fuck! Uh, I'm sorry, the Nats are going to lose. Um, so you know, I'm I'm going to say six and ten. I. I I encourage you not to look at this glass half empty. We haven't even started games yet. Um, but I also I won't be surprised if we finish seven, eight, nine wins, which begs the question, and I'm going to leave us with this probably our last question. Like, what do you do with Gruden if he does get to, we'll put a, we'll say he gets to eight wins. We finish eight and eight, another mediocre year. Do you keep him or do you fire him? So I'll say this. I know this is probably going to seem run counter to everything I said over the last half an hour. What if there's a scenario where Dwayne Haskins starts for a prolonged period of time and he plays as well as Josh Allen did last year? Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills. And Josh Allen, like, yeah. you know, all the arm strength you, God could ever put into a, into a human person, human person, human, a human being, he gave him all the arm strength you could ever ask for. But, you know, the old joke was he couldn't throw the ball into the ocean if he was standing on the beach in terms of his accuracy. Well, he was really good last year. Um, and I think the NFL is in a place right now where if you have a quarterback who is just a modicum of talent, he will be in a situation to succeed. And, you know, there, 
you know, again, revising my own statement, I think there's a world where if the things were to break right, it's not like Buffalo's rife with receiving talent themselves. And, you know, we have a team that's kind of similar in the way we're constructed as them, maybe not with a defensive-minded head coach. Um, you know, yeah, I think there's a 6-10, and 10, maybe even, let's get Frisky and call it 7-9 world. I'll still stick with my 5-11. and 11. But then that gets back to your question, what do you do with them? Um, it's funny, I have a coworker who's a Cincinnati fan, and I was strapping with him, and another hot take uh, prediction is I actually think Cincinnati is going to finish with the number one overall pick next year. I think Cincinnati is going to um, uh, win the fewest games in the NFL. And I wasn't saying that to kind of trash talk him. I was just saying, like, objectively speaking, and I don't mean to talk ill about anyone's team. I'm a Redskins fan, so I don't have a leg to stand on with talking trash. But I was just saying, like, this is my objective viewpoint. And he was like, you know, I don't disagree. But we got to talk about Marvin Lewis, and he's like, you know, Marvin consistently got us to seven wins or six to eight wins, no more, no less, which was a big improvement over everything we had previously. And um, we were kind of talking, I'm like, it wouldn't have been terrible to have Marvin one more year. Maybe things got stale a little bit, but I think, again, he was going to get you six to eight wins and he was going to give you stability. And you have to keep looking at it from this perspective, that if you fire Gruden, is the grass greener on the other side of the fence? And that's the thing that keeps haunting me. Like, who are you going to hire? It's not exactly like some of the head coaching hires over the last few years have been inspired, you know, genius picks. Like Cliff Kingsbury and Zach Taylor, I mean, come on. Like, th those, are, those are reaches of the worst kind, right? Just because Cliff Kingsbury drank a beer once with Sean McVay doesn't make him a head coach. And then, you know, Brian Flores, just because he played in the Belichick system because Belichick clearly has so many head coaching disciples around the league who are successful. And then, you know, like, and then you have like guys like Steve Wilkes from the Cardinals the year before. It's like, you know, it's not like being in the head coaching market is all of a sudden this recipe for success. And it's like with Gruden, you know, exactly as you said, that he's going to find a way to get your team to play up to the opponents. If I'm not, unfortunately play down to the opponents, but you're probably not going to do worse than six or seven wins anyway. And, the benefit of keeping another six or seven win head coach, quote unquote, is you're keeping continuity for Haskins. And that's the thing I keep coming back to. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone knows I'm a huge Gruden guy. I love him. Uh, mostly because I just want to sit down and pound beers with that guy. I, I uh, bet you he can go to or put you under the table. Probably. Uh, no, he'll put, no, no, no. He put me on the table for sure. Um, and I'd be pumped about it. Um, at least two days later, I'd be excited about it. The, I think, you know, I'm a big Gruden guy. I want him to stay. I think um, I was joking around with some of my buddies the other day. I think the dream scenario, and I think um, I'm going to give out a shout-out to my buddy Chester. I think he's the one who said it. Um, <laughs> fire Gruden, promote Kevin O'Connell so the continuity's there, and then make Gruden the GM. <laughs> um, let, let Keep Gruden in-house, in but let Kevin O'Connell eventually become the head coach. And I think that's the dream plan. scenario, honestly. It's not, it would never happen, I don't think. But, like, the reason I, the reason I'm, the real reason I'm a big fan of Gruden is, um, and I sometimes I wonder if he's just going to become our Jason Garrett, where he just becomes like, you know, he's just out there every year and, and the owner just is like, oh, something bad's happening. Jay, get up there and talk for us. Um, he basically already is our GM, if you actually look at it that way. Um, but, uh, I mean, I'm a Gruden guy. I hope he, I hope he lasts. I think the kind of thing is really important, but uh, my, Gut tells me that he won't last past this year. Yeah, you know, he, he had that. Yeah, he had that great, great line uh, when they asked him about hard knocks and whether they should just come next year. And he's like, "Well, <laughs> there's a good chance I won't be here next year if we don't make the playoffs." Um, 
you know, I, I think he's gone. I hope he stays, but I think next year, if we're, you know, I forget what day, it's August 20th maybe, uh, I think Kevin O'Connor's your head coach at this time next year. Yeah, I, I, I will fully agree with that. I think they won't say it, but Kevin O'Connell is the head coach in waiting. And I think this trend of younger offensive-minded head coach, i.e. the Sean McVay, the Matt LaFleur, the Cliff Kingsbury, the Zach Taylors, they're setting the precedent of this. And God forbid, but if one of them does well, it's going to convince the league, which is a very monkey-see, monkey-do league, where they're going to be like, oh, well, we've got one of those guys. And it, it's going to be very much the continuity perspective that, like, you know, keeping the same offensive system. They'll probably promote somebody internally, probably find some other younger coach to take the offensive role coordinator or passing game coordinator, whatever we call it here, mantle from O'Connell and kind of be his guy. I don't hate that plan, but I'm not thrilled by it. Yeah, I mean, it's – I think for us, though, it's reality, right? The guy who started this whole trend of the boy whiz was in our was in our facility. You know, he grew up basically with the Redskins. Granted, he started with John Gruden and the Bucks, but McVay grew up in Ashburn with Shanahan, then Jay, and took the lead by storm. Um, everyone says O'Connell is – well, I'm not comparing the two, but everyone says O'Connell is similar in the vein that he's just all of a sudden this kind of really detailed whiz kid who's, who was promoted off into quarter coordinator simply to keep him. Everyone wants to interview him. I don't see a world where Dan says, you know, he can go interview again. I think, I think the world we live in is Dan says, screw it. Jay, you're fired. O'Connell, you are now you're now our head coach. I, I bet you haven't even followed the Rooney Rule. A lot of terrible things come out about the organization per usual. Um, that's what I see happening, uh, and it sucks too because like I think Jay, besides the football point, like the reason I want to drink beers with him is I bet you he's got more stories and more war stories about that organization than anybody. Um, oh, yeah. And I'd be very yeah, I would love to hear what he actually thinks about it because I bet you deep down he hates everything about it. Um, but I'm, you know, I think I think we're both in agreement that next year, week one, it'll be Kevin O'Connell and whoever else is on, on staff. I think you bring up a really interesting point. I don't think if it comes to that where Jay wins six games this year, or you know he finds himself in a situation where, where Dan Snyder finds himself in a situation. He already has taken the L, as the kids like to say, of letting McVay walk. I don't think he's going to want to put himself in a situation again where. O'Connell goes somewhere and becomes a head coach. I think as neurotic as or insecure a person as Snyder is, I think he would say like, no, we're not letting the next McVay walk. Even if O'Connell isn't necessarily the next McVay and he probably isn't, McVay is another unique situation in so many different ways. And everyone saying we're going to hire the next McVay is just asinine. Because again, that's a, it's a, he's a little bit of a blip in the matrix in the way everything kind of coalesced for him. Um, but I don't think Snyder would want to take that L again. I think he would be very quick to pull the trigger and just say, let's keep everything the same or as much as possible, just push Jay out the door. I don't, I, I, I don't dislike Jay. I think he has a bad habit of not, of um, being, he knows when to crack the whip. I just don't know if he cr- cracks the whip enough. And I, lots of times when people like DJ Swearinger and people like that said, that, you know, t- think guys are a little too loosey goosey. I do think that happens. And I think it comes a little bit from Jay. And like, I think players really like the way he runs the team in terms of treating them like adults and professionals and being the quote unquote players coach. I just find that I don't know if there's a definitive line where that starts and being the, or where that ends and the hard ass being starts. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know the, the, the only dream scenario I have is is 
Gruden gets ele- elevated to GM. O'Connell takes over, and um, homeboy Bruce is is gone. His house is his house, I believe, is on the. I think it's got an offer on it uh, in McLean, so he's he's moving, and hopefully that means he's out of here. Um, but you know, I think I, I love J two. I, you know, I, I just I just hope we uh, we don't screw up the O'Connell situation. But if Jay wins, I hope we keep him. So it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting situation to to, to monitor throughout the year because I think Jay's got the best odds in Vegas of being fired first um, out of NFL head coaches. Hopefully, we get to a point with this podcast where we have enough listeners that we can start a GoFundMe to buy out Bruce Allen and just say go. Leave. We'll buy you a house somewhere else. To get the hell out of here. All right. If we had that, if we had that many listeners, I would quit my job. Maybe both times. Yeah. Um, maybe, 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 maybe in ten years. To that end, we'll we'll call it there. On a, while we're talking about the listeners, um, if you made it this far, thank you so much for the. Oh, I want to make sure. So you, we're putting you on the record for seven and nine, right? I'm uh, on the record. I'm six and ten. Six and ten. Okay, so five, eleven, six, and ten. So we're clearly bastions of optimism here. Um. Awesome. So that on that wrapping up note, thank you so much for everyone for listening. If you haven't done so already, please make sure you listen to us or subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud and all the other social media shenanigans that goes on these days and what the kids are doing. Um, hopefully we continue to do more of these throughout the course of the, of the football year of the season. Um, lots of other podcasts planned, so make sure you keep it locked over here. And until then, we will talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Hail to the District podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.